The future could be brilliant. A personal inquiry into why much of the world seems crazy and what to do about it. Part 4. Heartless or Humane Having woken up to the fact that there are a significant number of people who lack empathy or a conscience to one degree or another, I could begin to see why normal human society and culture seems so distorted. In the last episode, I talked about the influence of people with this hidden disability in conflict and war, but it's not just in time of war that the heartless influence society. They're with us all the time. Because humane values are not experienced or understood by sociopaths, their predatory instincts are not restrained and they assume that everyone else is the same. They view the world as an eat-or-be-eaten, dog-eat-dog jungle, where they aim to do the eating. Psychopaths are social predators, and like all predators, they are looking for feeding grounds. Wherever you get power, prestige and money, you will find them. So says Robert D. Hare, Professor of Psychology at the University of British Columbia, perhaps the world's leading expert in the field. The idea of life as a rat race is clearly a sociopathic concept and ironically, by acting in a heartless way, they promote exactly that. They think of cooperation and compassion as weaknesses and yet these are the things that have made us so successful. If you don't experience empathy or compassion for others, you see them as objects, things, potential prey. The abhorrent idea of enslaving people and trading them as commodities suddenly made sense. Looking back in history for thousands of years, nearly every so-called civilization has exhibited sociopathic distortions. My recollection is that these were sold to us as wonderful empires and kingdoms with leaders who were revered and respected, not reviled as mass murderers and slave masters. Rianne Eisler in The Chalice and the Blade gives a chilling example of Constantine, the first holy Christian Roman emperor, who later was accorded sainthood. What Christian historians usually fail to report is that it is also said that this first Christian emperor had his wife boiled alive and ordered the murder of his own son. Just watch a few episodes of Horrible Histories and you get an idea of what was really going on. The predator without internal restraint is missing the inherent patterns that limit and contain our sense of self-importance, such as a sense of guilt or shame. This helps to explain a key element of this sociopathic personality, called a grandiose sense of self-worth, a kind of -of out-of-control ego syndrome. The so-called divine right of kings which asserts that a monarch derives the right to rule directly from the will of God, is surely a supreme example of this. This egotistical delusion results in a classic top-down hierarchical system, which aggrandizes those at the top and disempowers everyone else. An unfair, unjust, stupid way to organise human affairs. The whole system of land ownership in Scotland for hundreds of years was based on this weird distortion. Called feudalism, 
its echoes are with us still. It is the heart of the land ownership and class distortions that I discovered as a young boy when I set foot on the Isle of Mull. Andy Whiteman, in his book The Poor Had No Lawyers, reveals much of how this distortion in land ownership reflects the impoverished psychology at its root. For virtually the first 700 years of feudal land ownership, a tiny number of feudal superiors made the very laws they stood to benefit from. It was only in 1928 that men and women eventually secured the vote on an equal footing. The implications of this are that the vast majority of the land laws in place have no legitimate democratic sanction. Land is about power. It is how power is derived, defined, distributed and exercised. It always has been, and it still is, thanks to a legal system that has historically been constructed and adapted to protect the interests of private property. Ultimately, the distribution of land we have today is the product of centuries of vested interests organising things to their own advantage. We are thus living with both a legacy and a culture that have become so ingrained as to be almost invisible and have been subject to only the most cursory and short-term critique. We live, as Andy says, in a land where families are still homeless, the housed are burdened by record levels of debt, the young can't begin to imagine what it must be like to own their own home, and young farmers have no prospect of getting hold of a farm. This feudal sociopathic inheritance can be seen in our present House of Lords, where the aggrandised in society still oversee a so-called democratic process. Whether hereditary or appointed, the Lords still rule, and even in this relatively liberal age, being given a peerage or a knighthood is still heavily skewed towards those with wealth and power. Bobby Friedman, in his book Democracy Limited, having analysed a six-year period of House of Lords appointments, concluded that You would have been roughly 6,000 times more likely to be given a peerage if you coughed up to a political party than if you were a random person off the street. He also states the obvious about the whole political system. When it comes to policy-making, politicians make decision after decision despite being conflicted by the huge sums of money their party has received. Andy Whiteman cites historian and Secretary of State for Scotland, Tom Johnson, from 1909, and a quote that still rings true today. Show the people that our old nobility is not noble, that its lands are stolen lands, stolen either by force or fraud. Show people that the title deeds are rapine, murder, cheating or court harlotry. Dissolve the halo of divinity that surrounds the hereditary title. Let the people clearly understand that our present House of Lords is composed largely of descendants of successful pirates and rogues. Do these things, and you shatter the romance that keeps the nation numb and spellbound while privilege picks its pockets. From what I understand, sociopathic individuals are in many ways empty inside. No matter how much they have, they want more. Robert Burns said, The rank is but the guinea's stamp, a man's the gowd for all that. But for the sociopath, the guinea stamp 
is all they understand, and they can be ruthless in its pursuit to the cost of everyone else. This sociopathic distortion of human culture is, of course, experienced worldwide. Plutocracy, ruled by the rich for the benefit of the rich, seems more apparent by the day. A them-and-us society run for the advantage of an elite few whose blind, insensitive and irresponsible treatment of the planet and the rest of us is leading us down the road to nowhere fast. An old Oxfam report on the cost of inequality states, It is now widely accepted that rapidly growing extreme wealth and inequality are harmful to human progress and that something needs to be done. The killer fact in the report for me was that the world's top billionaires added $240 billion to their wealth in 2012, enough to end world poverty four times over. Wind on a few years and the direction of travel has not changed. According to a report by the Swiss bank USB, the richest people on earth made more money in 2017 than in any year in recorded history. The equivalent figures from Oxfam said that the world's billionaires' annual increase in wealth was now enough to end extreme poverty seven times over. Not only have many, many people not got enough, some have so much it's beyond most people's conception, and yet they still want more. An Arab prince is reported as complaining that Forbes magazine's global rich list underestimated his fortune by many billions. It's reported that the prince owns a 747 in which he sits on a throne during flights. His main palace has 420 rooms and he claims to have over $700 million worth of jewels. He's reported to be the richest man in the Arab world, valued at well over $20 billion, and has watched his wealth increase by several billion dollars per year. According to a former employee, this vast wealth is important to the prince, because that is how he wants the world to judge his success and stature. Compare this with some Native American cultures, where your status was based on how much you gave away, not how much you kept. As psychologist Bob Altmaier says, When your life is a long power trip, it's hard to get enough, because it's hard to get it all. The aim of this discourse is not to demonise sociopaths. That would make no sense. They're not all murderers and megalomaniacs. They may have the potential to be, but that depends mainly on one thing, and that is us. It's totally insane for the rest of us to let them be in charge of anything important, especially lawmaking and government. People with sociopathic tendencies are compromised in their ability to respond to others, because their senses simply don't respond in the full way. Sociopaths can pretend to respond in a sensitive way, they're often brilliant at this, but the truth is they lack depth of feelings for others. This lack of ability to care means that they should never be given responsible roles in life if we want genuine and sane outcomes. The implications of this are remarkable. 
we now have a new way of understanding societies, cultures and organisations. The old divisions of right or left, communist or capitalist, labour or conservative, republican or democrat, Jewish, Muslim, Protestant, Catholic, Sunni, Shia, Hindu, Sikh or whatever, are only half the story. There's a deeper truth and understanding about how these faiths and beliefs are expressed. We know that people of all creeds and kinds can get on well with each other, but we now know that every ideology is open to corruption and manipulation by sociopathic individuals seeking power and turning people against each other empowers them. A power-hungry Machiavellian can emerge from any culture. I think it's safe to say that virtually every organisation and institution has at some stage been infiltrated and used by sociopaths for their own selfish desires. There are simply governments and institutions run by the uncaring for their own selfish benefit and those that are healthy and humane that are run by caring people for the welfare and benefit of all. Sociopathic or sane, heartless or humane, that appears to be the real choice. For the first time, we have a realistic and scientifically grounded way of assessing and interpreting politics, religions, organisations and institutions that cannot fail to produce a new way of running human society. This is not a new ideology, but a new insight into why things are the way they are, and therefore about how to improve things. From everything that I can gather, a significant number of the people in charge do not have the ability to respond in a sane way to what's happening. They don't care because they don't have the capacity to care. That's the simple and scary truth. Essentially, the problem is ours, not theirs. We need to recognise their limitations and behave accordingly. We need to take responsibility for what is happening. We now know that they can not. Given the precarious state of our environment and our world, to stand back through fear or ignorance is surely no longer acceptable. next episode, a fundamental link between sociopaths and power.